weekend and next weekend. We're going to be wrapping it up. It's entitled Mayhem and this idea that, that mayhem is everywhere. We need to protect ourselves. And obviously we're borrowing that from the creative team of Allstate. But we've been saying, hey, this, this has a real spiritual reality in our lives as well. In fact, what we know is that Allstate didn't come up with this idea of, of, of mayhem and, and this idea of it costing us more than it should. Jesus was the very first one to come up with that. This idea that if you don't have the right kind of insurance, when mayhem comes, it's going to cost you more than it has to, that Jesus talked about that in John 16. In John 16, 33, he talks about how, hey, we're going to experience trouble in this life. There's going to be hardship that we're going to face. We're going to experience trials. But, but Jesus says, I'm telling you all of this because I want you to have my peace. I, I want you to know that even when the world around you is terribly tumultuous, it doesn't have to rob you of your sense of inner peace. There should be a calm that we carry on the inside. I like to call it a God confidence, that we know with certainty that he always has our best interest at heart and that he's in control. And so we've kind of paired that up with Isaiah 26.3. Who's anybody taking the challenge to memorize this verse? Anybody out there? A few hands, come on. Isaiah 26.3. If you've never memorized a verse of scripture, this is a great one. It has a, a, a natural alliteration to it. It has a cadence that's easy to remember. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's a great verse because when you feel like your sense of inner peace is slipping away, you can, you can challenge yourself. You with me? It's when in the book of Psalms where David says, my soul will bless the Lord, right? It's, sometimes it's okay to talk to yourself. Sometimes it might mean that you need some help, but other times, right, it, it, it might mean that you're doing something that's biblical, is that you're, you're talking to the spiritual part of who you are, and you're taking authority over yourself. And so sometimes when you, when you feel your sense of inner peace being displaced, you should be willing to say, I believe that, God, you can keep me in perfect peace because I trust in you and because my thoughts are fixed upon you. And you can just begin to speak that word over yourself, and it helps to ground that and anchor that peace inside of you. We've connected it to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It talks about faith, hope, and love. This idea of you will keep, that's about having a sense of hope that you can have a perfect peace in your heart. Trusting is about faith in God and this idea of our thoughts being fixed on him. It's because we're head over heels in love with the creator of the universe. And so we've been kind of the direction we've been taking the series in is that we don't want to add to our mayhem, right? So God says to us, I've got plenty of mayhem that's already planned for you to shape your character, to build your faith. Sometimes mayhem he brings into our lives by his hand because he's trying to prepare us to be understanding and compassionate towards someone in our future that we're going to have an opportunity to love on and we're going to be able to say to them, I know what it's like because you've been there yourself. That's what the first chapter of 2 Corinthians is all about. And so sometimes he brings mayhem in our lives to prepare us to care for others in a loving way and our future in an understanding way. So we've been having some fun with this Dumb Ways to Die game, which is an iPhone app game. We didn't realize in the beginning that it was only an iPhone game, so we apologize for that, not really. But anyways, so... So what we've been giving stuff away, right, for the high score to this game. So we've been working up to the big giveaway. So we're going to put a six-pack of, 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 uh, of Mexican Coke in here, the better recipe. Uh, it's got the bottle opener. It's got speakers. So you can put your iPhone or Android or whatever you prefer for your digital music selection. And uh, so you can plug that in and play that. And so, so, so this is how we're going to give this away next weekend. We're going to give it away next week. So tonight... If you want to be eligible for the giveaway next weekend, then you need to see Jenna. Jenna can raise your hand. Jenna, you can see Jenna. You can tell her what your score is, right? You've got to show her on your device. 
if you cannot show her, we do not trust you, all right? So, so you need to show her, right? Because there's been a lot of trash talking that's been going on behind the scenes. We're very aware. All right, come on. So you show her your device. Show her your high school. She'll write down and put the number. We're going to do the same thing tomorrow morning in Williamsburg. And then next weekend, we'll do the big giveaway for the coveted cooler that someone I'm sure will have on their shoulder the following weekend to boast about their victory. We'll also reveal their score, which they'll probably might be a little bit embarrassed about because it might be all that they've been doing for the last several weeks. So, all right. So, so when we started the series, I shared my top five. I shared the, in, in pastoral ministry, all the years I've been pastoring, the, the, the top five ways that I see people adding to their mayhem, self-inflicted trouble, but that, that, that through their choices, through bad decisions, that they, they increase the, the, the difficulty of life. And, and the top two were isolation and deference, that people who tend to isolate themselves are going to increase the mayhem of their life. People who decrease in deference, meaning that they begin to withdraw from people that they've invited to speak into their life, people that we say, uh, all of us should have people that we've given permission to say no to us. And as we begin to draw back from those relationships, mayhem comes. And we, you can get these notes online or listen to the podcast. We talked about compromise, selfishness, and then last weekend we unleashed divine disobedience, this moment where we come to in times in our lives where God tells us to do something. We know that God's asking us to do something, or maybe he's telling us not to do something. We just kind of snub our nose and we say, I'm going to do it anyways, or I'm not going to do it. There's just this moment of rebellion. Mayhem always comes to follow. So, so I want to talk a little bit more about divine disobedience, and we're going to talk about one in particular tonight. And so to kind of set that up, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 42. Jeremiah 42, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, then all the guerrilla leaders, so, so what's happened is, is that, that, that uh, the northern kingdom has been conquered, now the southern kingdom has been conquered, there's an occupation from a foreign government, and so there's just a few people left, and they're trying to resist the military occupation that's being forced upon them, and it says, including Johanan, and then lots of other names that are difficult to pronounce, and then verse 2 says, Jeremiah the prophet said, they said, so they went to Jeremiah, and, and this, is, this is what they said, please pray to the Lord your God, this is important distinction here, right? Because they're saying, hey, they didn't say our God, they said your God for us. As you can see, we are only a tiny remnant compared to what we were before. Pray that the Lord, your God, will show us what to do and where to go. All right, Jeremiah replied. I, will, I love Jeremiah here, this is what, right? I will pray to the Lord, your God. He's reminded them, hey, he's not just my God, he's your God. I'm going to pray to the Lord, your God, as you have asked, and I will tell you everything he says, I will hide nothing from you. And then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord, your God. See, they're, battle, they're bantering back and forth here. So what they're doing is they're hedging, right? They're hedging. They want to know what God has to say, but by them saying, your God, it's kind of their way of saying, if we don't like what he says, we might not choose to do it, because he's really your God, not ours. But, let's, but then they give this promise, right? Sometimes what we say and what's in our heart are two different things. And sometimes what we say really betrays what's truly in our heart. And that's what you see happening in the text. It says, verse 5 says, Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord your God be a faithful witness against us if we refuse to obey whatever he tells us to do. Whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord. It shifts here, right? You with me? We will obey the Lord, our God, to whom we are sending you for our plea. And if we... if we obey him, everything will turn out well for us. Now, what they're asking for is, can we go to Egypt? They want to leave, they feel threatened, and they want to run with this, this small band of families that have survived. They want to flee to Egypt, and so, and they say, Jeremiah, could, could you talk to God and see what he says? And so, Jeremiah comes, 
And he says, I have a message for you if you keep reading in the text. God says that you cannot go. And guess what they did? They went anyways, right? Because, because there's this moment of they've decided in their heart what they want to do. They've resolved, this is what I want to do. And so, so, so what they're hoping is that God is going to give them a sense of permission to do what they've already chosen to do. So they're walking through some of the spiritual rituals. You and I have never done that, right? They're doing the things they know that they're supposed to do to, to get a sense of affirmation. But when it contradicts what they've decided in their heart, instead of yielding and deferring, so what God says, they choose their own way. And if you were to continue read, reading the story, you'll find that it does not go well for them. Because when we stand in a place of divine disobedience, mayhem is soon to follow. Now, we read this story and we say, well, we're probably not ever going to be in a situation like that. We're in situations like that every day. Maybe not as grave physically to us and our physical well-being, but spiritually every day God is speaking to us about doing and not doing. And there has to be something in our heart that says, God, it's not just their God, you're my God. And when what I want to do is different from what you want me to do, I want to have a heart that yields to you, to submits to you, even when I don't like it. So I'm going to make you think a little bit tonight. We like participation here at the City Life Church, but th this, this question is going to be a little bit more specific. I'm going to explain it. What do you think is the most commonly accepted divine disobedience? Now, what does that mean? It means that people who are devoted followers of Christ, right? People who have come to the decision, it's not just your God, he's, he's my God. In, in just your observing of everyday life, of course, this is what we always say, not of yourself, but as you observe other people, right? What are the most commonly accepted divine disobedience? Now, now this one, not things that you see that everybody goes I can't believe that's happening. Talking about the things that you see that just in general, it seems like everybody's just okay with it, even though, even though we know it's not right. Does that make sense? All right, I see hands popping up already. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Chrissy? Holding an offense. Yep, harboring bitterness in your heart. Jenna? Speeding. Yeah, come on. Yeah? Yeah. Don't say that in the room. There's, there's police officers here. The Sabbath. Gluttony. Ouch. I was just at the Bell's house for dinner on Friday night. There's no gluttony at the Bell's or the Rich Acts for the military pool party. Those are safe zones. Just I'm laying that down. Ben. Say that dishonesty in the workplace. Yeah. You guys are doing good. Scotty, Saber. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Scotty. Taking care of the homeless. That's good. Not caring for the under-resourced. Alan. Premarital sex. Somebody else. God, that's great, isn't it? Gossip that's couched as a prayer request. I have a prayer request for my friend who's doing this. That's, that's good. That's good. Little white lies, right? Just, just twisting the truth just enough, but not full-on dishonesty. Somebody else. You guys are doing great. So good. Of course, you're not talking out of your own experiences. Let's hear. A lack of faith. Anybody else? Promises and not keeping them. Yeah, yeah. just overselling, under-delivering. Yeah. yeah. All right, so not reading Scripture. It's good. It's good. We, could, we should have just made a list. That could have been a series. We could have just talked about each one of those. I'm going to hone in on one in, in particular. I, I, these are the two I see. This out of my, I think all of those could go on the list. The two that I would put at the top would be gluttony and rest. It, just in my own observation, the two that are the most acceptable, meaning that, that we've just come to a place of resignation 
where almost we don't even realize they're wrong anymore. And I want to talk to you tonight about this idea of a Sabbath day, of a rest. Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 5. Whenever the text starts out with fools, right, we should be paying attention because we don't want to be that person. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. This People that are unproductive, people that have a sense of entitlement in life, they want things, but they don't want to ever do anything for them. Just laziness. The Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness. So does Ecclesiastes. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. But listen to where the text goes. And yet, better to have one handful. A handful is just talking about material things. Better yet to have one handful with quietness, or that word also doubles for rest, than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. You, you find this phrase, chasing after the wind, repeated often in, the, in Ecclesiastes, and it's this idea that it's one of the curses of our humanity, that we keep running after things that we're never, ever, ever going to get. We're never going to be satisfied, and materialism is one of those things. We're just never going to have enough, and so God is saying here to us through this text that, hey, it's better to have half as much and a sense of rest than it is to have twice as much and just to be worn down and always tired. Even though God says, admittedly, from the beginning, it's not permission to not be productive. It's not permission to not meet the material needs of people that are looking to you. He's saying you can still do all of that. You can still meet needs. You can still enjoy life, but still walk through life with a sense of quietness, with a sense of rest. Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 13 we read out of 59 last week, and so remember the Bible when it was originally written, we talked about that last week, there were no chapter and verse divisions, and so sometimes there's a flow of thought that gets lost from the end of one to the beginning of the other, and so I find it instructive that how chapter 58 ends and how it begins in chapter 59. 58 beginning in verse 13 says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day. It doesn't mean don't self-care on that day. It means don't pursue the things that are of interest to you on that day that you do just like every other day. It should be a different kind of day, different kinds of interests that you pursue. Enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor. I will satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. Yes, I, the Lord, have spoken. And this is where we read last week to kind of set off this idea of divine disobedience. But the, the thought just flows together. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away. It's instructive to me that the way that Isaiah the prophet was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give a list of disobediences, that the one that's given right before we're set up for this great challenge about how, how, how a lot of our suffering comes from our disobedience, it's connected directly to this idea of rest. It's huge to God. It's a big deal to God. It was one of the big ten. So I want to talk tonight about three things about rest. We're going to talk about rest awareness, we're going to talk about your rest attitude, and we're going to talk about rest action. And we had to work some dumb ways to die slides in there, so, all right. Rest awareness. All right, Hebrews 4. 
Now, this is another sermon series. We've done this series before. We're not going to go through all of these for time's sake tonight, but I want to introduce them to you. But Hebrews 4 is all about rest. In fact, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author of that was. So some of the books are titled by the author, and some of the books are titled by the person they're written to. And so this book is written to a young group of Hebrews who have converted to Christianity. They've, 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 they've acknowledged that Jesus is the, the Messiah. And now they're in this discipleship relationship with the early church, and somebody's writing some things that they think that, hey, if they're going to make it as followers of Christ, if they're going to be the future teachers, right, like our children out there, then we want to make sure they're taught while they understand. And so this idea of rest is one of the main texts in this great letter that's given to us. And in Hebrews 4, you find four specific kinds of rest. And unless you've got all four of these active in your life, the fullness of rest that God wants you to have is going to escape you. So there is a special rest that is waiting for the people of God. This word here in the Greek, it did not exist before until the writer of Hebrews, right? That's why preachers are, have a biblical license to make up words. It's right here. So it's the word sabbatismos. And, and, and what that means, it's a rest that is without end. It's an unending rest. It's a sense of rest that you carry that, has, that never comes to and then, sabbatismos. And this word sabbatismos that's dropped right here in the text is speaking to all the kinds of rests that the writer of Hebrews talks about. The first one is this paternal rest. In the notes that you're going to get online, that I've got the, the references to the, to the verses in Hebrews 4, and you can find that. Paternal rest is the rest that comes from knowing God as your Father. It's the sense of rest that you carry when you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. You're now part of the family of God, and you wake up every day knowing God is your best and closest friend. When you live your life with a passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing, life-defining relationship with your Heavenly Father, there is a sense of rest that you take on. Physical rest, which is the one we're going to talk about at length tonight. Purposeful rest. This is the kind of rest that you have when you know that you know that you know you're doing the thing that God's called you to do. Now that changes sometimes, right? There's seasons of purpose. What I'm called to in this season might be different than what I'm called to in that season. So discerning as those seasons change, that's one of the reasons why it's important to be part of a church family. We're around people that help us figure that out. But through whatever season that you're in, that you know, hey, you know what? I'm doing the thing. I have breath because I'm supposed to be doing the thing that I'm doing right now. I'm telling you, there is a sense of rest and the writer points back to the Israelites. There was a sense of rest that they discovered that as they followed Joshua to take possession of the promised land. Then there's perpetual rest. Perpetual rest comes from knowing what's waiting for you after you die. And the writer of Hebrews talks about that. Right? It's, it's, it's connected to paternal rest, but it's different. Paternal rest comes from the relationship I have with God. Perpetual rest comes from knowing that I'm going to be with him forever in heaven. We don't, we don't believe in, in, in annihilationism, which, which, which means that when, when we just die, every, everything ceases to end. We believe that when we die, that we live forever. We're either going to live in a place of perdition forever, or we're going to live in a place of paradise forever. And when your paradise is promised to you, there's a sense of rest that you carry in your heart. Now, you can have one of these, you can have two of these, you can have three, or you can have all four of these. And once you get all four of these in your life, you have sabbatismos. You have a rest that is without end. And God says to you, and he says to me, don't settle for less. He over-promises, and he always over-delivers. This idea of this kind of rest seems as though it's beyond our reach. 
And God looks at you and me tonight, and he said, it is not. Even with your fallen nature, even with the struggles of your humanity, you can have a kind of rest that defines who you are, that the rest of the world should be looking at and saying, what is wrong with you, right? Do you have a prescription from your doctor that my doctor's not aware of, right? It, yes, we do. It's Hebrews chapter 4, the great physician. Okay. Rest awareness. Mark 2.27 so many people use this verse to, to give them an excuse to set aside the physical rest. Many churches teach about paternal rest. They might not use these words, but they teach about paternal rest. They, they teach about purposeful rest. They, 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 teach about, they teach about perpetual rest, but they say that, 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 that this idea of, of, of a physical rest, we're not bound to that anymore. And, and they oftentimes point to this verse in Mark 2, 27, where then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Now, this is what they say. Well, if God's saying that it's a gift, then I don't have to accept that gift. It's based on my own choice. And the problem with that interpretation is that you're taking a worldly cultural practice and ascribing that to the kingdom of heaven, and that often gets us in trouble, right? Because if I were to give Andrew a gift, right? If I were to give him, a, if I were to give him this, some people would be really upset, but just, just pretend somebody's rushing the stage even now, right? If I were to give him this, right, as a gift, then, then he might get home and say, that's the dumbest gift that anybody has ever given to me, Right? And so he might accept it to be courteous to me, but I might find it on Craigslist on Monday, right? I'd be, hey, that's the gift that I gave Andrew, right? And now he's selling it. We were at, we were at a, a homeschool event not too long ago, and, and, uh, and, and, and there was a, a teenager there that's not part of our, our church that had a City Life Church t-shirt on, you know? And so our kids went over and said, you know, hey, I didn't know you went to the City Life Church. And they said, what are you talking about? And they're like, you've got on one of our t-shirts. Where did you get that? And they said, oh, I got this at Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I, I'm sure one of your children outgrew it. I'm, that's my story, I'm sticking with it, right? But what makes the story even funnier, what makes the story even funnier, it was one of the, it was one of the red ones on that Ethan has on tonight. It was one of, those, one of those, one of the newer ones. One of the newer ones too, not one of the old ones, right? And so, so and, and this is what really funny is they thought it was for Freedom Life Church, which is our friend Freddie, Freddie Villarreal. So they were all disappointed that they were wearing a t-shirt that was really for another church. And we we're like, who gave our City Life Church, right? We gave that to them as a gift, right? We were, I'm still working through the offense in my heart, right? So we have this cultural understanding that, hey, if somebody gives us a gift and we don't like it, we're, we're free to re-gift it, box it, we can put it away, right? When God gives us a gift, it's a gift. We have, we have the right to say to him, I don't want that. And he says, okay, then I'm not going to give it to you. But what we need to understand in the kingdom of heaven is if the creator of the universe gives us a gift, we are free to reject it, but it doesn't mean we're, we're not free from the consequences that rejection brings to our lives. So when you turn to Ephesians 2.8, it talks about the gift of salvation, and it describes it as a gift. And no one here would say, if we reject the gift of Christ's forgiveness, that there are not serious, eternal consequences that come to us in the aftermath, a mayhem that never ends. So when God says, I have a gift to give to you, it's the gift of rest. It's the gift of Sabbath. Whenever God says, I have a gift, there should be something inside of us that says, if I don't like the gift that he's giving to me, 
because I have a heart of deference to the sovereign creator of the universe, I'm going to embrace this gift, I'm going to practice this gift, and then at some point I believe that my heart's going to catch up to a place of celebrating this gift because if it's from his hand, it should be something that we want. There should be an awareness that is in the church today that re-recognizes the sacredness of the Sabbath day. There should be an awareness that's in the church, and it's going to be at the city. This is a life message for me. It's a life message for our church. We teach it at least once every year, that we want people to be aware of what Scripture says about rest. All right, let's talk about rest attitude. You tracking with me here? See, when I become aware, right, then I have to decide what's my attitude going to be towards this thing that I'm now aware of. Those of you who have children, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. There's times where they become aware of what we expect of them, but it doesn't mean that the attitude that we're looking for always follows, right? So true obedience, true obedience is aware of the expectation of the authority and celebrates walking in the command. So we want to be a church that is aware of rest, but we want to be a church that has an attitude towards rest that believes that this gift that God has given to me is good, right? Not doing that is like poking a grizzly bear in the butt with a stick. That's the imagery there in case you didn't connect that. All right, all right. Just helping you out, helping you out. All right, John 2, verse 13. John 2. Oh, come on, God's word is good, isn't it? It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem, and in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices, and he also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. money. And Jesus made a whip with some troubles coming. Angry Jesus, right? made a whip with some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep, the cattle. He scattered the money changers and coins all over the floor. He turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. It was not bad that they were selling things. The problem when you study the history there is they were taking advantage of people. With me? It's like when you, when you go to an amusement park and you've got to pay $14.28 for a bottle of water, right? They, they know that they've got you there and you've got really no choices. And so what was happening in Jesus' day, the, the, the Jewish temple would not accept Roman currency, so they had to take their Roman currency, they had to convert it to Jewish coins, and they, they charged them an exchange rate that was just, it was sinful. They had to make certain kinds of sacrifices. And so many people traveled from far away and they couldn't bring livestock with them, and so they would get there like going to an amusement park, and they had to pay more than what they should have to pay. And so Jesus said, hey, you are taking advantage of people, and I don't like it. Now let's keep reading. Where am I? All right, listen to what he says here. He says, he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. It's powerful, isn't it? God doesn't just want obedience. He wants passion. He doesn't just want us to do what we're told to do because he's told us to do it. He wants passion. He wants zeal. He wants something inside of us. Now, it might be that it might not come right away, and we teach that principle too. We talk to married couples about this, that right feelings follow right actions, and the world has it backwards. The world says, well, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it. Well, then the problem with that is you're not ever going to do it because your heart seldom feels the things that it's supposed to. The biblical principle is that right Feelings follow right action. 
So even if you don't have zeal in your heart for the things that God asks of you, you begin to do them, and you trust that a transformative work by the power of the Holy Spirit begins to take place inside of you, and all of a sudden, guess what? You wake up one day, and you become passionate and zealous for these things that you've been walking in out of obedience, but now you're walking in a place of feeling. True love isn't just about choices. It's also about passion. Now, and, and, and the church is guilty of this, right? I'm just, a lot of things the church is guilty of. church is guilty of always saying, well, true love is a choice, right? It, it is a choice, but the Song of Solomon is also a book in the Bible, right? So true love is both a choice and it is also a feeling. You might be in a, in, a, in a marriage where right now there's no feeling, there's just choice. Well, you keep choosing well, I'm telling you, the feeling will come because it is a principle of the kingdom of God. God wants to see obedience, but he also wants us to be passionate. And when we get to rest, he doesn't want us, us to scuff our heels into a place of obedience. He wants us to get to a place where we say, God, you are good, and this gift that you have given to me is the delight of my life. So when you turn to Exodus 20, you don't have to turn there. We're not going to work through all of these texts, but in Exodus 20, we're giving three words that speak to the attitude that we're supposed to have towards rest. The, one is, the first one is Shabbat, which is a Hebrew word for Sabbath, and then there's Kadash, and then there's Nuach. And these are words that speak to the attitude that we should have when we look at this command that he gives to us about a Sabbath day. Sabbath is to repose. That is to desist from exertion, to cease. It means to celebrate. It means to leave. It means to put away or to put down. It means to make to rest. It means to rid. It means to still. It needs, means to take away. Let's look at Kadash. It means to be clean spiritually. A sense of being clean on the inside. It means to appoint. It means to bid or consecrate. It means to dedicate. It means it's hallowed, which means that it's sacred. It's, it's unlike other things. It's holy. Prepare, proclaim, purify, and sanctify. Right, this is my favorite one here, Nuach, which I think would be a great name for a boat if you had one big enough for a name. Just come right to the end. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. How many of you need a day that's just comfortable and convenient and easygoing. There should be something inside of us that says, God, this gift of rest, I want to take this gift of rest. I, I, I'm beginning to see now that this is something that you, you, you want me to walk in and live in, and I want my heart to come to a place of attitude where I'm excited about this idea of a Sabbath that I can set aside. It's going to be a day. My attitude towards this day is it's going to be different from any other day because it's kadash, because it's holy, because it's sacred. It's not just some rel empty religious ritual. It's something that's special to you. It needs to be special to me. And as I'm walking through this day, I want to be nuoked. I want to be comfortable. I want to be convenient. I want to be easy going and when I wake up the day after I feel refreshed and I feel invigorated I want to ask you nine questions that might have been on another slide a little while ago I probably blew by that in my enthusiasm so let me ask you these nine questions so 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 what if there was a leader here at the city life church who was described by any one of these things so this is a restatement of, of nine of the, of the Ten Commandments. What if there was a leader here at the City Life Church who, who actively worshiped other gods and actively participated in other religions? What if there was a leader here at the City Life Church that made idols in their garage, prayed to them, sold them, made money off of them, and worshiped them regularly? What if that was a leader here at the City Life Church? What if there was a leader here at the City Life Church who spoke with profanity, especially using God and Jesus as curse words? 
What if there was a leader here at the City Life Church that spoke disrespectfully to their parents, spoke of them publicly in derogatory ways? How about a leader here at the City Life Church who openly endorsed murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate? What if they practiced an open marriage relationship with their spouse? What if dishonesty for personal gain, that their attitude towards that is that it's just a part of life? What if there was a leader here at the City Life Church that regularly gave false testimony against people because their attitude, well, they've got to be guilty of something? And, and what if they believed that envying your neighbor's possessions was a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff? You could not get out of this church fast enough, right? Or I would hope that you could not get out of this church fast enough, right? I'm not talking about people who make mistakes. I'm not talking about, you know, you're looking for a church where their leaders are perfect. If you're looking for that, you're not going to find it here. So don't come back next weekend, right? Because we're not perfect. But what we're saying is, if these characterize their life, right? If this defines who they are, they're just open about it, brazen about it, bold about it. You would say, without a moment, say, even if you... We're not a follower of Christ. You would say there is something wrong about that, right? There would be something inside of you intuitively that says, hey, there is a disconnection, my friend, with what you profess and what you practice. In fact, it might be that some of you here, maybe you've been away from the church for a long time because you just got tired of being a part of a church where there was a continual disconnection between what people professed and what people practiced, maybe with some of the things that are on that list. But those are just nine of the commandments. There are ten. And the 10th one, the one that we left out, is rest. And at some point, I don't know when, I'm not enough of a historian to put my finger on it. Maybe people have studied enough to do that and say something happened to the church when rest stopped being sacred. And we took the 10, we edited them, or we read 10, but we only have a sense of it being wrong with nine. And we've now given ourselves a sense of permission to say no to God about something that to him, I believe, is still sacred. This is called Bart, a famous theologian. He said, let things take their course with particular freedom, distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings. The day should be free from compulsion. It's funny, I was... After the, the, uh, the, uh, during the, the announcements, that's my opportunity to make my bathroom run, right? So it's a little, little inside, inside track for the, the life of Pastor Fred, right? Not that I don't like hearing Vanessa do announcements because she does a great job with announcements, right? So, so I'm, I run in there and, and, and one of my kids is, is there washing their hands and I said, hey, handsome. And then I turned and saw somebody else in there and I said, hey, you too, you're pretty handsome, right? And so I'm joking around and kidding around and then we start talking about this person's vacation and, and all of a sudden the person looked at me and said, your mic's not on, right? And I had this grip of fear, right, overtook me, right? Oh, no! Is that Pastor Fred calling people handsome in the men's room, right? So <laughs> thankfully, my microphone, what's I'm reaching is my, so anyway. So. But, but, but in this conversation with this person, right, we're ta- they just got back from vacation, and, and we talked, you know, we're now on vacation. You connect with this idea of being a day that's free. That's what they said. I woke up every day. I had nothing that I had to do. And there was just this look in their eye like, I can't wait for it to come back next year, right? Because we all long to have days. There is something inside of us that intuitively understands what I'm talking about tonight. We need. Rest was a part of the creation of the world before sin ever entered it. 
There are things that are part of the experience of life that came as a result of Adam and Eve and their moment of disobedience. But when you look to the other side of the moment where they disobeyed God and you try to make a list of the things that made the world perfect. One is that they were naked, but that's another sermon for another time. The, the, other, one, the other one is that they had rest. God himself took a day off after he created the world and it was part of perfection. One of the reasons why God puts the Sabbath in the world, it's because we have a physical need for it. He designed these bodies and he designed them to, to need to be rejuvenated once every seven days. But I think he also puts it in there to just give us a taste of what the Garden of Eden was like. That one day out of every week, you get to say, this is what it was like for them when the world was a perfect place. Who here does not want to own that gift? So let me give you, I'm going to work through these eight things, just not going to take long, just, just some advice. Rest action. We want you to be aware of rest. We want you to have the right kind of attitude towards rest. And we want you to begin to take some action so that you can get this thing working in your life. And the first one is this is pray. For You might be looking at me tonight and say, Fred, you, you, are, you are out of your mind. If you knew my schedule, if you knew the demands that were on me, there's, you, there's no way I would ever be able to do what you're saying. I would say, you pray. You begin a conversation with God and ask him to give you the wisdom because he is all-knowing of how you can take what he's asking of you and make it work. Don't buy into the lie that you can't because that's one of the biggest whispers that the devil will ever put in our ear. And also this idea of prayers, that prayer should be a part of your Sabbath. Doesn't mean you have to have this huge prayer service. It's just, come on, that, that once a week there's just a day where you're just trying to maintain a conversation with God. You have a listening ear. You're just talking to him about the, just, just as if he were really there, because he is, and you're just talking with him, maybe even to yourself, maybe just, just having an ongoing conversation with your Father in heaven. You've got to be willing to invest in your rest. Rest can cost you something, materially. You should have a line item. You should be living on a budget. If you're not living on a budget, that's another sermon for another time, but you should have one because stewardship is a pathway, and one of your line items for your budget should be, there should be money that you've set aside for rest. You can find a way to invest in your rest that fits your financial situation of your family. Set aside money to invest in your rest. you got to be willing to protect it, right? The devil does not want you to be fully invigorated as you step back into your life and to resist the temptation that he's going to bring to your life. I'm going to read a quote from a favorite author of mine, John Ortberg, but he says the greatest enemy of Christian character is fatigue. It's fatigue. The devil does not want you to be rested. He wants you to be worn out and worn down and tired and weary. This idea, I'm if you leave here tonight and say, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to take some steps. I'm going to talk about that. It's going to be one of the eight. We're going to take some steps. I'm telling you, everything that you could imagine that could try to stop you from having that day, it's going to happen the day before or the morning of. You with me? How many people, when you wake, you say, you know what? I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going, to, I'm going to get into a routine, right? That alarm clock goes off that next morning, and you are the most tired that you have ever been in 25 years. Am I telling the truth, right? You with me? When you, when you make a decision to make great strides, there's always going to be great resistance. You should expect that. You've got to push through to gain the prize that God wants you to have. You've got to say, I'm, we're going to protect this day. You've got to be flexible. For you, it might be that it starts at noon on one day and finishes noon the next day, right? 
It might be because of your work schedule. It might not be able to, at first, be a full 24-hour cycle. Maybe it's two evenings back-to-back in a week. You with me? Don't fall into the perfectionistic, well, that's a really hard word to say, mindset that says, if I can't do it this way, I'm not going to do it at all. Do, Do something. Even if the only thing that you can do is set aside one evening every week just to get started, that's a great start. And God will help you grow it from there. Ultimately to the place where you will have a 24-hour cycle, and sometimes that day might need to move for you. You might have to shift that day around. It takes some planning. But you've got to be willing to be flexible because of the demands that might be on your life. Family. So you see, what can't happen is tomorrow morning, dads, when you wake up, disappear, and when your wife texts you, where are you? Pastor Fred said, this is my day to rest. I'll, I'll be home later. No, no. If you are married, it's a day together. If you have children, it's about family. We're not saying be legalistic about it, but what we're saying is if you have a family, find a way to be together at least one day. Well, you know the rest of your, for, of your days, you're just in the wind, right? You're, your life is busy. Have a day where you come together. It's, it's one of the motivating factors of us moving services to Saturday night back when we did that in 2008 is that we wanted to create a day of rest for people. And so we, Sunday might be that day for you. You got a, a family day, comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. It's a day to be together. Learn from others. If you're here and, and all this is brand new for you, then, then, then find some people that are practicing rest. Talk to Vanessa. Talk to the Rogers. Talk to the Nuwanis. Talk to the Kearneys. Talk to people, the, 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 the Rogerios. Talk to the people on the, on, the, on the governance team or people that are in leadership here that are, that are, that are working this thing out and practicing this. And, and ask them questions. If, how do you do this? How do you do that? How, we, we would love, I'm telling you, it has revolutionized our lives. Now, you might be a type A driving personality like we are. The first time you do it, it might not be a fun day for you because you're addicted to adrenaline. You with me? There's a, a pastor that wrote a book, and, and in one of these chapters, he talks about he was a driving type A personality. And when he began to put this into practice, that both he and his wife, who are, are, are drivers, they, they said they really, they really struggled with real clinical depression on those days because they were so addicted to the adrenaline of the pace of their life. And so there might be some chemical things that you've got to work through that are very real. You've got to push through that stuff and get to a place to celebrate the things that God has for you. You've got to give yourself grace. You're going to mess up. Life's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. You've got to give yourself permission and try again the next week. You know what happens with reading through the Bible, right? We keep pointing to that one because that's the one we can relate to. You get to July and you're thinking, I am so far behind. I am so far behind. I'm just going to wait till January and start again. That's a mistake. Don't do that, right? You don't have to catch up. We believe in grace. Start for today's reading and just pick up and move forward. Don't live under the condemnation of every... This is what the devil wants. He wants you to be so condemned by what you haven't read, he doesn't want you to read anything else. Don't fall into that trap. You make some mistakes with, 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 with this practice of a Sabbath. Don't give up on it. Give grace to yourself and move on in your tomorrows. And this is, the, this is the last one. I'm going to read a quote and have the worship team come back up. You have to rest, right? If the day after you don't feel rejuvenated, you did something wrong. That's the measure. You might be someone who wants to be active, right? Like I tend to, to be someone who wants to do very little on, on my day off, right? I, I, I get my most rest by my, my spot on the couch, right? 
Vanessa likes to be active. She likes to, to garden and be in the yard. And what, what we're saying is, is that you've, you don't have to rest like everybody else rests. The question is, are you rested? Does that make sense? You might choose to be active on that day. As a family, you might choose to do some fun things on that. There's only one measure as to whether or not you did it right. The day after, how do you feel? If you feel refreshed and rejuvenated, then you did it right. If you wake up so worn out that you can't wait for the next Sabbath to come, or you're calling in sick because you wore yourself out on your day off, then you didn't do something right. There's just one measure. Do I feel revitalized? All right, so as they play, I'm going to read you this. I read this every year. I love this quote from John Ortberg. If you're looking for a good book to read, The Life You've Always Wanted, it's a classic. It says, some time ago I was giving a bath to our three children and I had a custom of bathing them together more to save time than anything else and I knew that eventually I'd have to stop the group bathing, but for the time being it seemed efficient. Johnny was still in the tub and Laura was out and safely in her pajamas and I was trying to get Mallory dried off. Mallory was out of the water but was doing what has come to be known in our family as the Dida Day Dance. Now this consists of her running around and around in circles singing over and over again, Dida Day, Dida Day. It is a relatively simple dance expressing great joy. When she is too happy to hold it in any longer, when words are inadequate to give voice to her euphoria, she has to do the dance. It releases her joy so she does the Dida Day. Now on this particular occasion, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry! I prodded. So she did. She began running in circles faster and faster, chanting Dida Day more rapidly than before. No, Mallory, that's not what I meant. Stop with the Dida Day stuff and get over here so I can dry you off. Hurry! And then she asked a profound question. Why? Come on, I'm telling you, we can learn from our children. I had no answer. I had nowhere to go and nothing to do and no meetings to attend, no sermons to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with my own little agenda, so trapped in this rut of moving from one task to another that here was life. Here was joy. Here was an invitation to dance right in front of me, and I was missing it. So I got up. Mallory and I, we did the D-Da-Day dance together. And she said I was pretty good, too, for a man of my age. Stand with me. Father, we believe, as your word says, that every perfect gift comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we know that for some people here tonight, you're standing in front of them and you're holding a box that is gift wrapped with their name on it. And inside, it's a day that will cause their heart to want to do the Deed I Day dance. That there's a rest that you want us to find. Not just paternal rest, not just purposeful rest, not just perpetual rest, but there's a physical rest that you want us to have. That it's so important to you that, that you embedded it with nine other big things that we all look at and say, of course those things are important to God. God, let it be that all of those things be just as important to us as they are to you. Especially this idea of a Sabbath, especially this idea of a day 
the Shabbat, that it would be Kadash, and then on that day that Nuah would speak to the very sentiment of our heart, comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. Let's worship together.